The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you I am a boat rocker. Good day, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at Sons of Liberty Media.com, and for Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns about. I hold to the book, the Bible. As the authoritative Word of God, glad that you guys have joined us this morning. Uh, by the way, if you'd like to call in and you'd like to add something to the show, uh, please stick to the topic uh, that we're going to have, 803-619-9855, 803-619-9855. Uh, happy to talk with you. Merry Christmas, by the way. If you'd like to check us out online, you can do so, sonsoflibertyradio.com, sonsoflibertymedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of the radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right, you can see the face that's made for radio, head over to sonsoflibertymedia.com. There you're going to see two videos at the top of the page. The one on the left side is Bradley's show from Saturday, two hours worth of Bradley Dean. So if you missed that and you'd like to catch it, you can do so up until 3 o'clock this afternoon. On the right side of the page is where we're at. Click on the play button, blow it up on whatever device you got, look for the Rumble icon, bottom right-hand corner, click on that, and you can join us in the chat. A lot of friends on Rumble this morning. Good morning, good to see you guys. And uh, while you're over there, please subscribe to the channel, Sons of Liberty Radio Live, Sons of Liberty Radio Live on Rumble. And then finally, we're on beforeitsnews.com, top of the page over there, and we appreciate Michael and his team giving us a spot on their platform. Back at sonsoflibertymedia.com, right up under where we're streaming live is where you can sign up for our email newsletter. Uh, that goes out once a day, late afternoon, early evening. And that includes a morning show archive. And I do apologize, boy, with everything going on, um, I didn't get to get up the interview we had with Simon uh, on Saturday. And uh, by the way, Simon has a lot more than just he's going out and, and seeing these veterans. This guy blew the whistle on some pedophilia and some other things that was going on uh, within the church. And he got railroaded for it. I mean, they, whatever you thought you knew was going on in the church, whatever, and I'm talking about the professed church. I'm not talking about the true church of Christ. I'm talking about the professed church. Uh, whatever you thought was going on there, in many cases, it's worse than what you think. I mean, I, I don't know how a man can be persecuted for exposing something that wicked in the midst of what's going on. But, such as, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a brood of vipers, if you will, 
if it's not just one guy doing it. There's other guys covering for him, and they're probably doing the same thing. So anyway, we're probably going to bring him on uh, back on to talk about some of those things of what you know he had engaged in there and, and exposing that and, and going after that. So I'm looking forward to that, and I'm also looking forward to hearing uh, from him about his ventures over the weekend and here into Christmas uh, with uh, the homeless there in San Francisco. You know God's got to put that in your heart. It's the natural man does not want to go out in the midst of the streets of San Francisco at this time of year uh, and go ministering to people, him and, you know, nobody with him. Uh, so the Lord's put that in his heart, and so we're grateful for that. All right, this morning, I was going to start off and, you know, point you guys over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, play you a couple of videos, because, <clears throat> excuse me, Frankly, I ran across this uh, this deal the other day, and I'll just show it to you. I'll drop the, the link here in the chat. Um, but the videos, when we left to go to Michigan, okay, um, I got there, I, I, I forget when, it was really, really early in the morning. It was like 4.30 or something. And I thought, well, surely, you know, it's 4.30 in the morning. No, there's not going to be a lot of people. I guess everybody catches that earliest flight out or something. It was probably busier then than it was at any other time. And as we pulled up, I looked at my son-in-law and said, I guess I'm riding with the migrants or, or flying with the migrants or something. And um, because, man, there was just cars. And look, I, I, you can say I'm stereotyping or whatever you want to say, but there were cars just piling out of Latinos um, just – coming out the woodwork right in front of us. And of course they could have been, you know, their, their employer could have been flying them somewhere to do it. And it could have been an assumption. I said it sort of tongue in cheek. There were a lot, a lot of people flying this, this article they did the other day, sons of Liberty media.com Delta American airlines flying whole planes of planes full of unidentified migrants. Some of these people, this, there's uh, one lady, uh, her name is Ashley St. Clair. And she did a whole thing because she was in the Phoenix airport. And so she did video after video. And then there's a couple other people in here too. But she did video after video of migrants being flown around the country. She got many of them where she captured some of the things they were carrying. Uh, she had a, another issue to where I think one of one of the deals that they were doing, um, I can't remember which one it was, but she had a deal where it said, see, they had their processing papers and all the stuff that they've got with them. That's how she's identifying them. And um, she said something about the fact that many of them didn't have any kind of identification uh, in fact, one of them, I think it said name not provided or something like that. Uh, and they're sticking them on a plane. But no, you, you silly Americans, you have to take your shoes off. You got to take your hat off. You got to take your jacket off. You got to open up your bags. You got to let us put our hands all over. You got to go through a gamma ray scanner. You got to, uh, you know, you've got to do all this stuff. But these people that we don't even know who they are, we're going to stick them on a plane with you. Who's the ones being attacked here? <laughs> uh, 
And I'm telling you, the solution is us men. Forming those militias again. You're going to have to match the strength that you're up against here. You really are. And the men are going to have to do it. We're going to talk about that later this week. Lord willing, we're going to bring the men and the militia in. And uh, I'll share with you the things that I shared with um, uh, the people up in Michigan uh, a couple of weeks ago. All right, so here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to, you know, everybody at this time of year they focus on the birth of Christ. Fine, that fine. Let me just give you this. Uh, how shall we say? A warning for people who only think about Jesus or the Bible or church or any of that other at Christmas time and Easter. Both of those celebrations, if that's all you're into it for, you're celebrating your own doom. You do realize that, right? You celebrate the birth of the judge, and you're celebrating the judge who overcomes death and the sin and the grave and hell. And he's the one you'll stand before. He's the one that many of these guys will get out there and go, only God can judge me. Yep, you're right. And he is. He will. (laughs) So that's the prerequisite warning here. Okay? My focus is not going to be so much about the birth, although we're going to have some of that. It's about what he came to accomplish. And that was in his death. Okay? All right, so let's let's start where we're going to start. Okay, so we have a little context. Uh, pre-show music today was uh, this this version of Hallelujah. I heard it a couple of years ago, I think, and I played it. Um, I think it's a husband and wife team. It might be a brother and sister. I'm not sure. Um, but they were singing, change the words out, and it's basically the entire gospel message from birth through resurrection. Of course, we didn't get to that because it's a little longer. Uh, so we needed a few more seconds in the in the pre-show music, but nevertheless, you get the idea. And um, so let's start where this all starts, because a lot of people would go, "Okay, he's a baby in the manger," and they know the story and all, but they don't see the significance to what's going on. They think, "Oh, the people in the end were just such mean people, and they were just full. They could have they could have spared you know a pregnant lady and her husband and." And, and, uh, and, you know, to, to deliver. They could have spared some room. But that's not really what's going on. And so I, w- I want people to see exactly what's taking place. So in order to, to, to really view and see what's going on, let's go back to every, well, see, I say everybody, but I'm realizing more and more here in the United States of America, many people don't know that, that they've not been educated with the Scriptures. And they haven't educated themselves with them. So I've got to be careful about saying everybody knows. But here's the thing. John the Baptist declared and pointed to Jesus and he declared to the people, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, if you're outside of Israel, you're probably not going to have a clue as, What? Lamb's taking away sin? What? What are you talking about? So let's go back to where this becomes very, very relevant. Exodus chapter 12. That's a strange place to start if you're going to be speaking about the birth of Christ. Not really. You'll see it. You'll see it. Exodus chapter 12. 
And the Lord, that's Yahweh, that's all in capital letters, spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. He must be a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out of the sheep or from the goats. And ye shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Okay, so they were to have, they were to take him out and they were to examine him for several days. Okay, to make sure that he was without blemish. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. So you're going to examine it. You're going to make sure he's without blame, that he doesn't have any defects. And then all of Israel are going to kill their lambs together at the same time in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper doorpost of the house wherein they shall eat it. So what, what, what sign are they setting up over the doorpost there? The sign of the cross, aren't they? The two sides, cross the top. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head and his legs, and with the putinance thereof, and ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus ye shall eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And what is he saying here? Watch, watch, watch why this is necessary. It's the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Who's passing through Egypt? God is. And I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not come upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. All right. So God sets up the Passover. It's called Passover because he will pass over their homes if he sees the blood on the doorposts. That's all they have to have. That's all they have to have. And where is that blood going to come from? It's going to come from the sacrificial lamb 
that they've set out from a, from a set apart from the others. They have prepared it a certain way that God said to prepare it, and they have used the blood of that lamb to protect themselves from God's wrath. They have used the blood to protect themselves from God's wrath, because what's coming? God's coming. He's passing over the houses of Egypt, and he's going to destroy the firstborn in those homes that don't have the blood on it. Got it? Got the picture? Okay. All right. So, with that said, what are we to see here? Several things. The people of Israel would keep the Passover, wouldn't they? Every year. It's part of their celebrations, part of the feast that they had. And that Passover was to be a picture of the one who would come and be the final Passover lamb. Thus, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Millions of lambs had been slaughtered over the centuries in Egypt, in, in uh, Israel as they observed this feast and other sacrifices and other feasts that they had as well. But this one particularly focused on the lamb, the Passover lamb, and the meal that they would eat. And of course, that didn't stop until in the New Testament. In the New Testament, we see that there was fulfillment of the coming of the Lord, wrapping himself in flesh, as John says in John 1. And we read in Luke chapter 1 that there's one who was to come before the Christ. We know him as John the Baptist and his, his father and his mother. His father was a priest. And an angel tells him that his wife is going to give birth and he's going to name the child John. And it was though he was in amazement. What? And so he wasn't allowed to speak until the baby was born. And when the baby was born, everybody was wanting to name him after his daddy. And his daddy said he'll be called John. And John knew who he was. He knew he wasn't the Christ. He was just a guy who was making way for the Christ. He was going to point to the light. He was going to bear witness of the Christ himself. So with that said, his wife Elizabeth does conceive. That's Zacharias' wife. And the same angel that came to her also came to Mary. And here's what we read in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hell, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his spirit, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, or Yeshua in the Hebrew. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? 
See, Mary was betrothed to Joseph. She was not yet, they had not yet consummated the marriage, but the betrothal in those days was just as binding as the marriage. Okay? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, the cousin of Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called a barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And so Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Now, just a, a real quick side note here. That's a pretty big deal. You're in Israel. You're found to be with child, and you're not married, and you're and it's not your husband's child. You're in. You're putting your life in de- in jeopardy there. I, I get the the magnitude of the moment here. It's kind of like the lady who went to touch the hem of the garment of Jesus. She wasn't supposed to be touching anybody. She was considered ceremonially unclean, and she had a great risk in going and touching a teacher like that. But she believed that he could heal her. Mary believed that the Lord would perform what he was going to perform and that she'd be okay with it, however God worked it out. So, so don't, don't miss that uh, act of faith there on Mary's part. I think the, the Roman Catholics go way overboard with their adoration. It's, it's downright worship of Mary. Um, but keep that in mind that she was a faithful woman. She was a faithful woman. So let's go back to to Luke chapter two and or, yeah, Luke chapter one and uh, and see what we see here. Mary rose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah, entered in the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of the salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in in my womb for joy. Ah, isn't that something? And Jesus talks about the model of heaven as like a child. And here is the baby John in the womb leaping at the sound, just the sound of the voice of the woman who would carry the Lord Jesus. Hmm. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And notice what Mary does. Does she say, yes, magnify me. Bow at my feet and worship me. Pray unto me. Call unto me. That's not what she says. In fact, it goes the opposite direction. Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Now, another little side note here is there have been many who have put Mary as a co-redemptrix with Christ. They have said she was immaculately conceived, just like Jesus. That's not what Mary says. She rejoices in God, her Savior. 
You don't need a Savior if you've been immaculately conceived. You are sinless. This is the whole point with, with Jesus, right? Unless you want to tell me she started sinning after, you know, anyway. This is a big deal of what Mary is saying here. And it's a huge rebuke and correction to those who would esteem Mary higher than what the Scriptures esteem her. Yes, she was blessed. Yes, she carried the mother of the Lord. Or she was the, Mary, uh, she was the mother of the Lord. No question about that. But she wasn't a co-redemptrix. She's not a co-creator. She's not a co-mediator. She's not any of that. But she is a good example of one who was faithful to God. And so she rejoices in God her Savior, for he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. And we do. We do say she was blessed. No question about that. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats, and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Hmm. And they hung out for a little bit. Okay? And, um, and later on in that chapter, what we read is John is born. The people want to name him after Dad. Dad goes, his name's going to be John. And uh, everybody was marveling at what took place there. All right? And, um, it's real interesting. I mean, they, they kind of close out for that part. And then the next, the next thing that we see is Luke chapter 2. And this is the part where you know, most people understand what's going on here. And this is what people want to term the, I guess, if you want to say, the Christmas story. This is the, this is the, account, uh, the account from Luke of the birth of Christ. So here's what we see. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria. And by the way, it's really interesting because, you know, Luke is known as a doctor, but he's really uh, quite a, a great journalist. He is writing the Gospel of Luke, um, and he also writes the Book of Acts uh, as a testimony to this guy named Theophilus. He's uh, obviously a Gentile. And so Luke is giving him an account here, and Luke is not an eyewitness. Luke is going to eyewitnesses, and he tells Theophilus that. He says, I, I got this from eyewitnesses, and I wanted to write it down and send it to you so you can be sure of the fate that you have. You can be sure of these things and, of what, and who the Christ is and of what he did. And so Luke was a guy who went and asked questions, and he went and investigated things, and he went and got the witnesses together, and that's how he compiled his gospel. And of course, we know in the book of Acts, he is alongside the Apostle Paul on some of his journeys as well. So we see this, and it says, And all, the, and all went to be taxed, verse 3, chapter 2 of Luke, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, 
under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Yeah, I can, I can imagine that. I can see that. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Notice this. You've got a city. Imagine you're the shepherds out here in, in the field. All right. You, you all of a sudden the sky light, lights up. You've got all these angels. It's got to be a terrifying experience. Okay, that's why it says they were sore afraid. You you you've got them bringing good tidings of great joy, right? The Savior has been born. Christ the Lord. He's in the city of David. They would know that. They would know that as Bethlehem. But then he says. I'm going to, he's going to, there's going to be a sign. There's a sign unto you so that you'll know you've got the right child. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Hmm. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, there were several things, and this was weeks ago, but I I said, well, I'm just going to use some of the things from what Bradley had written because it it is basically what I was going to share with you today. But we were going through passive scripture at church, I don't know, it's probably been about a month ago. And we were dealing with this issue of the lambs and where they were born and how they were taken care of and where this all was accomplished. And this it's pretty it's quite telling. So when they're saying, here's the sign, it's very specific. It sounds very general to us, but that's because we don't know the background to it. And so when you find this this term manger, a lot of us have a certain element in our mind based off of images that we've seen. By the way, this is why I'm a little I, I'm I'm very careful about images depicting Jesus in his humanity, and even in his glory. I've seen some pictures like that, and it's just like, because oftentimes what we're doing is we're bringing Christ down from his glory back into his humility, and we don't know what he looked like. We really don't know what he looked like. And I know people talk about the Shroud of Turin and all this other. Again, God gave us a word book. He didn't give us a picture book, did he? No, because he wasn't interested in us creating little idols in our mind, and we have an idol factory called a heart. That's what it'll do. It'll create idols. And so I'm always telling my kids, that's not Jesus. It's an artist's rendition of Jesus. But it's kind of funny when you you can hold up pictures of lily white Jesus and black Jesus and 
Semitic Jesus and Russian Jesus and all this other. And people, when you hold them up, they'll go, oh, that's Jesus. They'll recognize him because his garb or his hair, or, you know, the artist rendition of it. That's what, it's not Jesus. It's not, in fact, Jesus doesn't look anything like anything that man can come up with. And this is why God said, you don't make the images, you don't do it of, of anything. Man, beasts, things in the air, things in the water, things on the earth, you don't do it. So anyway, so we see this, and the idea of the manger of what we see, what they would have had would have been stalls that they kept the lambs in. And so we're told in this passage out of Luke here that they're going to find this babe in the manger, but he's going to have these swaddling clothes. And, of course, he's in the city of David. Uh, the prophet Micah told us that he would come out of Bethlehem, Ephrata, and so he's going. To, he's supposed to be born there. This is why later on, uh, when the wise men do show up, they don't show up at the manger. Um, they show up at a house, and they see the child with Mary. Okay, so and, and this is why when Herod goes to destroy the baby boys in Israel, he goes ages two and under, because it's probably been two years since the birth of Christ, the time of the, the wise men finally arriving there and then leaving another way and not going back to Herod. And so Herod wants to kill all the baby boys two and under so that he covers that time frame. So more than likely, they're showing up when Jesus is about two years old. More than likely. That's just, sorry if I busted your myth because you think wise men ought to be in the nativity scene. They're, they're not there. Okay, And I, I got to tell you, that should tell us something, should it not? Several things, actually, it should tell us. One is, God took probably the most humble of people in the realm, shepherds. And that was the first people that heard that good news that his son had been born. I mean, and that's, that's pretty profound, that he would call them out and he would do that. Then we find that there was an area in uh, there that they would use. It was a tower, and in that tower, it was the tower of the flock. And in that tower on the on the bottom level is where they would keep these stalls for lambs that the shepherds would be protecting for sacrifice. They would be used for sacrifice. Okay, so these were lambs they cared for, they protected, they wanted to make sure they didn't have any blemish, they weren't harmed in any way or scarred or any of this other stuff. They would be at the bottom of that tower. And then they would use also the idea of the swaddling clothes, these strips of cloth that they would wrap the child in here. Um... The tower here is called in Hebrew the Migdal Adar. And it was formerly a military watchtower, but they were using it to care for these, these lambs as well. Now, some people believe that it happened in, in, in the inn, um, and that the inn, you know, they would have your upper level would be where the people were, and then your next level down might be where they 
um, uh, prepped and things of this nature, food and stuff like that, and you get onto a bottom level, and that's where they kept the animals. They would keep them inside, but they were all on the bottom. Okay. Uh, some people believe that that's the, the case too, but I think it's very instructive because how would these guys have known exactly where to go? You mean wandering around the city looking for, you know, maybe there's only one inn in the city. I don't know. Uh, but in, in any case, you've got this tower of the flock that's been spoken of. And again, when the, uh, when the, when the wise men would come in, they would say, where's he this born king of the Jews? It's kind of interesting, isn't it? The wise men, who, by the way, come from the area out of what we know as, uh, I think it's Iraq, uh, Persia, the Persian area, they come out of there seemingly knowing more than the, the men who are there in Israel. King Herod, for instance. Sorry, we got Cafe Brown going on here. Um, you'll, so you'll hear some baby noises and some stuff going on, so it's okay. Um this is going on, and this was the place where they would care for these, these little ewe lambs and, uh, and taking care of them, pre- preparing them for uh, the time when they would become a sacrifice. And so uh, Micah 4.8 says, And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee it shall come, even the first dominion, the kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. So I tend to think that, that Jesus was born in this tower of the flock. And the shepherds would have known exactly where to go. And they would have found him lying in this stall in swaddling clothes. They would have known this was exactly where to go and what they would find. And so, is that what they found? Well, let's look and see. Back to Luke chapter 2. Here's what we see. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. It shall be a sign for you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into the heavens, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem. (laughs) What are we waiting on? Let's go, guys. And see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things to herself. She kept all these things that she saw and pondered them in her heart. I mean, think about Mary. Mary's just had a baby. (laughs) We don't often think about that, do we? We know she's had a baby. But you ladies who've had children, you men out there, you've watched your wife had a child. She's not much for talking, is she, (laughs) afterwards? She wants some rest. And so she's just watching what's going on, and she's pondering what's happening, right? She's pondering... What's taking place there? And the shepherds, 
returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Boy, you you think they got a faith boost in that? (laughs) I think they did. I think they did. I think they got a tremendous faith boost. And then what's the next thing we see? We see that Jesus goes from little baby to child, you know, well, that's in that would go with Matthew's version uh, of what he accounts for the, the the magi, the wise men coming. By the way, there wasn't three. There was three three gifts, and some people even speculate that the gold is actually turmeric. All these anti-parasitic things, frankincense, myrrh, uh, frankincense, myrrh, and that. Some people have speculated that it was turmeric. I don't know. They brought him three gifts. And I can guarantee there was more than three of them because they would travel in a caravan for protection. So there may have been a hundred of these guys that showed up at this house. I mean, that would would have created quite a scene, right, at the carpenter's house for these magi to show up in front of the carpenter's house and uh, bearing gifts and things. These are things sometimes we just don't even think about. An entourage. You know, it's like, I don't know. The king of Thailand or something pulls into the Rednecks driveway down here in South Carolina, right? Everybody's going to be going, like, what is going on there? Um, yeah, something like that. And that had taken place. And again, these were things that Mary kept herself, uh, what she had seen there. So the next thing that we see after that is Jesus is 12. He's, he's a man. He's considered a man, and he's questioning the the doctors and the teachers and the scribes and all of these guys at the temple, right? Remember that? And the next thing we see, he is, boom, he's almost 30, Luke tells us. When he comes to John to be baptized and John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's where his ministry begins. For three and a half years, that's what he's doing. How do you know it's three and a half years? Well, he began to be about 30, um, and the Bible will count over each of these Passovers, you can see the feasts come up, and that's how you can tell the timetable of how much how much time is passing between uh, each each event there. And so, there's these three feasts that happen right together. You got the the unleavened bread, you got the Passover, you got the feast of booths. All those things come right there together in that weekend, if you will. And so they're getting set up for that. This is going to be the final Passover. Yes, there were some Passovers that, that Jews observed after that, and there's some that those who call themselves Jews and are not observed today, but the fact of the matter is, this was the final one. As far as God was concerned, this was it. And so what do we see here? Well, if we go to Luke chapter 22, here's what we read. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and scribes sought out how they might kill him, for they feared the people. And they entered Satan, uh, then entered Satan into Judas, Simon, uh, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray unto them. And they were glad and covenanted uh, to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. And then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. Remember, that's what we read back there in Exodus. Okay? And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. 
And they said unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when ye are entered into the city, there shall be a man meet you, bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house wherein he entereth in. And ye shall say unto the good man of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished there. Make ready. And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they had made ready the Passover. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Now, just a little bit to lead up to this, you remember, what did we find out in Exodus chapter 12? They were to remove that lamb that they were going to sacrifice. It was going to be the Passover meal. They were to remove it from the other flock, right? from the flock that they had. They were to separate it out. They were to examine it for several days. All the members of the family would look at it and make sure it didn't have a broke leg, didn't have a blemish, didn't have some kind of defect. It wasn't sick or anything like this. They were to examine it. Do you know what happened just days before this? Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem and this is what's going to happen. They're going to flog me. They're going to crucify me. They're going to bury me, but I'll rise the third day. Now, he told them that on the way there. But he comes into Jerusalem, and what happens? You guys remember? He's, they're sep- they separate him out. They put him on, 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 the, on the ass. They parade him through the street. The people are putting their cloaks down in the palm, uh, the palm leaves, whatever it is. They're putting down there. And they're bowing before him and they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's the beginning of that examination period. And if you remember when Jesus, he's constantly just, you read Matthew 20 and farther, he just doesn't let up with the Pharisees. He does not let up with them. He doesn't back off. He doesn't give them a room to breathe. He is just constantly digging in there. And he says, which one of you convinceth me of sin? Who can convict me of sin? He's saying, look at me. Do I have blemishes or am I a perfect lamb? Do you, do you understand what's going on there? This is the Christ. He's putting himself out there. He did nothing in secret. He always went into the temple. He's always with the people. They saw him day in and day out. In fact, he chastises them when they come, when Judas brings the guys. He goes, I was with you in the temple doing this. Now you're coming out in the middle of the night with clubs and swords? There was an examination period going on there. Jesus was under examination, if you will, as the Paschal Lamb. And now he's ready to have this final Passover meal with his disciples. Back to Luke 22, verse 13. Excuse me, verse 15. And he said unto them, With desire of desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say, and I'm telling you, these guys have no clue as to what's fixing to happen in the next few hours. They don't know. They don't think this is going to happen. Okay? For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Hmm. I'm not going to eat not going to eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Hmm. Did he eat after the resurrection? Mm-hmm. What does that tell you about the kingdom of God? Just, I'm just asking. What does that tell you? 
And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. Hmm. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them saying, This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. And likewise also the cup after supper saying, This cup is the new testament or the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. This is the new covenant in my blood, not the blood of lambs, or goats, or bulls, it's my blood. But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table, and truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined, but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. Now, of course, he's speaking of Judas Iscariot here. And so he has, the, he has that meal with them, and then he separates out the elements of the bread and the cup, which later the church would use in remembrance of his death. In the remembrance of his death. Mark 14 also covers a bit of this as well. And um, it's really interesting because there's even more that uh, leads up to that. Um, it, just prior to that, we read there was a preparation for his death. Mark chapter 14, and being, this is just a couple of days before the feast of the Passover, as you see in verse 1, and um, verse 3 it says, And behold, and being in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment, a spikenard, very precious, and she brake the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence. That's a lot of money. And it had been given to the poor. My understanding was it's like a year's wages. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always. You know, I wish, I wish some of our socialist friends could get that in their head. You have the poor with you always. There are means by which you can be kind and show love not steal from other people under the guise of government and call it charity. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do, good, do them good. But me ye have not always. He's just going to be there a short time, and then he's going to be gone. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. And that's where we see, again, Judas going off making his plans that we talked about uh, earlier. And what was all this for? It was in order that Jesus might give himself as an offering the, to be the Paschal Lamb for his people to be offered to take away their sin. See, none of the bulls, none of the goats, read Hebrews chapter 10, none of those sacrifices ever took away sin. 
I keep I, I hear people even today who will say, oh yes, the Old Testament sacrifice took away. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. None of them did that. Hebrews 10 is very clear about that. They don't take away sin. This is why the writer would warn the people, if you go back to that old system, there's no sacrifice for sin. You, you, you didn't have one in the first place. The only sacrifice for sin is the Christ. That's it. And if you reject that, there remaineth no more provision for sin. You, you, you don't have anything you can wash it away with. You don't have enough Dawn dishwashing detergent. It won't take it out anyway. You don't have a pressure washer big enough to get rid of your sin. It comes by way of the blood of the Paschal Lamb, God's perfect unblemished Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. And He did it willingly for His people. Now, I caught some grief from a guy. Uh, he's a regular, I guess, listener. And I, I wish he would call in. We could have a conversation. He's saying, oh, you got a little little rough on that, you know, with this stuff about uh, uh, predestination. This, I think he used the word heresy or something. Gosh, man, do you not read your Bible? There's just one instance here. This is from Revelation 13. Verse 8, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, some of the beasts whose names are not written in the book of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. And if you go back into, I believe it's Revelation chapter 6, you'll see that John sees this Lamb. Actually, it's before that. He sees this Lamb before the throne as though it was slain from the foundation of the world. Before the world was formed, it was already determined Jesus would be the Savior. Now, how are you, why are you determining the Savior before the world's even fallen, before it's even built, before it's put together, before there are people in it? And this is where people don't get the nature of God in all of this. He can tell you the end from the beginning. That's kind of interesting. He doesn't say the beginning to the end. He says, I can tell you the end and the beginning. God can do that. Nobody else can do that. And he's told us, and he told the people of the days, this is what's coming. Here's the time frame, Daniel chapter 9. Here's when it's going to happen. Give you the clues all throughout. It's going to be in Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. Going to give you the clues with the Passover. Going to give you the clues with the other feasts and other things that God set up in the temple to point to none other than the Christ. So when you celebrate today, remember Jesus ain't a baby. He came to die for the sins of his people. He came to die for the sins of his people. Remember that and then live for that. Bradley be with you at 3. Yep, he'll be here today. And then Lord willing, we'll see you in the morning, 6 a.m., bright and early. Merry Christmas. Talk to you soon.